Now, ladies and gentlemen, my last guest, but certainly not least, Bailey's ex-boyfriend. Ladies and gentlemen, Phil Johnson! Phil, what was it like being Bailey's ex-boyfriend? Bailey was a very nice girl. Uh, Phil, Phil, Philly, big Phil. Uh, let's just cut to the chase. Everyone here is dying to know, what was it like on your first date? It was okay. Kind of strange. Like, she only brought her father along to everything we went to, right? We go to the movies, her dad's there. We go out to eat, there he is, her father. But we almost had this one moment one night. Thought we were gonna kiss. Close my eyes. Nothing happened. And then I open them. And there he is. It's her freaking father. Delete! 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 Wrestling fans, are you ready? For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty! Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Rant Radio. Happy June, folks, and welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for June 1st, 2017. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. Three days out from Extreme Rules on Sunday, a show I think has potential on paper to be a pretty good event. I mean, I know Raw on Monday was not the greatest. It was actually kind of quite polarizing, to say the least. Um, I've seen some people say it was very good. Other people say it was terrible. There was a lot of bad stuff on the show, but there was quite a bit of good, too. So I'll talk about that in a bit in my Raw review from Monday, SmackDown Live Thoughts from Tuesday, and I'll get into my Extreme Rules predictions at the end of the show for Sunday's pay-per-view. Uh, before we get started here, I'll start off with this. On Friday, no, Saturday, rather. No, it was Friday, I think. Maybe? Yeah, no, it was Friday. I went to go see Baywatch, starring The Rock, Zac Efron, uh, Alexandra Daddario from San Andreas. Big fan of hers. She's probably my celebrity crush. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed the movie for what it was. I saw the reviews were not great going in, so I knew it wouldn't be an instant classic. It was far from my favorite rock movie. I really enjoyed San Andreas, Hercules, even the latest Too Fast and Furious movies, uh, more than this one. And even, what was the movie he was in last year? Uh, Central Intelligence, I enjoyed more than, uh, Baywatch. But, again, for what it was, it was fine viewing, so if you go to see it, don't expect it to be anything special. Um, but it was funny. I thought Rock and Zac, e Zac Efron made uh, for a pretty good pairing. It still shocks me beyond belief that Efron was able to really, not resurrect, but like reinvent himself as an actor coming off his days as a, as a high school musical star over a decade ago. I remember when I was sitting in front of my TV watching the premiere of that movie on Disney Channel over a decade ago, and now over a year, or rather a decade later, he's starring in movies with The Rock, so... 
It's quite the uh, turnaround for Zach Efron, so I applaud him for that. I can't say his name for some reason. Zach Efron, so I applaud him for his efforts <clears throat> in that respect. But let's get started here with Raw from Monday. It'll be a pretty straightforward show here today. Not much breaking in the world of wrestling in terms of news and whatnot. Uh, really, just we're talking Raw smacked on Extreme Rules here today, so it might be a bit of a shorter show than usual. But yeah, Raw from Monday night, May 29, 2017, kicked off the show with Miz TV. Starring the Raw Tag Team title contenders, Sheamus and Cesaro. A good segment. Uh, Sheamus and Cesaro pretty much rehashed what they've talked about before in terms of the Hardy Boys being the new shiny toys for the WWE Universe. They're all kind of wrapped up in Matt and Jeff and not paying enough attention to Cesaro and Sheamus. They're going to take the tag titles on Sunday, etc., etc. Miz, same thing, showing a replay of last week's uh, Ambrose versus Elias Samson match where uh, Samson picked up the victory after interference from The Miz, playing into you know this Sunday's Intercontinental Championship match, where if Ambrose gets disqualified, Miz wins the championship. Uh, so, solid segment here. Good mic work from Miz, Cesaro, Sheamus. Ambrose comes down with the Hardy Boys to set up a six-man tag team, champ- or six- just a-, a standard six-man tag team match coming out of the commercial break, which was also quite enjoyable. The crowd loved it. There were a handful of uh, awkward spots here, just really strange spots. Uh, just I don't know if it was... It wasn't really a lack of chemistry, just maybe a lack of communication, rather. Like, at one point, Ambrose went for a dive, and I think he missed. And then towards the end, Matt Hardy went for the twist of fate, and Miz turned into, into a neckbreaker instead. So, again, it was a bit off at various points, for whatever reason. But overall, I thought it was a fun match, good way to kick off the show, a uh, nice way of furthering two feuds with one match. Both bouts I'm looking forward to on Sunday. Um, after that, we had, speaking of the devil, Elias Sampson, Elias Sampson and the Drifter taking on Zach Evans. One-on-one standard squash match. The Drifter scoring the victory. I would not be surprised, and I'll talk about it in my Extreme Rules predictions, I would not be shocked to see him get involved in the Miz-Ambrose match on Sunday. I mean, kind of going off of what we saw last week, and maybe then we get a Miz-Ambrose-Sampson feud. I mean, that wouldn't be the worst thing. I would be kind of into that, so we'll see where it goes. But, I mean, I was not the... The weird thing is that I wasn't the biggest Drifter fan in NXT. Yet, so far on the main roster, as I talked about last week here on the show, he's been used quite well. Like, all the mysterious... <coughs> excuse me. Enigmatic, you know, the, the the aura that he really has about him right now has been interesting. And him just kind of playing the guitar and really just drifting throughout Monday Night Raw... Something we didn't really see enough of in NXT, oddly enough. But anyway, this was a straightforward match. The director scores the victory uh, using his finisher, which I didn't even know he had one. I know he's won matches in NXT using it before, but we do not see the drifter win too many matches with his finisher, so I thought that was interesting. But uh, decent win for him. After that, the triple threat match, pitting Finn Balor and Bray Wyatt against Samoa Joe uh, in hype for Sunday's Fatal 5-Way match to determine the number one contender to the Universal Championship. Uh, very good match here, nothing too amazing, but I thought all three guys worked well together. Pretty standard formula early on with, uh, excuse me, my watch just went off. Pretty standard formula early on with Joe and Wyatt working over Balor and uh, just working the heels against the babyface. In the end, dissension being teased between Joe and Wyatt. They implode, they go at it. Balor struggling to fight from underneath and overall, and in the end prevails against the... Uh, two behemoths, um, but ultimately it was Samoa Joe scoring the victory after Balor took out Wyatt. Joe tosses out Balor, pins Wyatt for the victory. 
So basically meaning that Samoa Joe is not winning on Sunday, which is probably for the better. I mean, Samoa Joe Brock Lesnar is a great match. It's going to be a blockbuster bout when it eventually happens, but it shouldn't happen right now. Uh, I think that's a match best saved for down the road. You know that Strowman is getting that SummerSlam spot against Brock Lesnar, so maybe the Royal Rumble or Survivor Series is, I don't know, it's really kind of fallen by the wayside in terms of being important, so... I would save it for the Rumble personally, but we'll see where they go. If they do it at all, but I, I really hope they do it at some point. They'd be dropping the ball big time by not doing that bout between now and WrestleMania. Because assuming Brock might not resign after WrestleMania, and uh, he'll be gone for good, and we'll never, we'll only really be left to wonder what would have happened had Samoa Joe and Brock Lesnar gone one on one. But anyway, good match here. Joe scores the victory by pinning Wyatt. Who else? I mean, I'm glad he didn't pin Balor, but Wyatt at this point is no threat. He's really just. Uh, just, just another guy. I mean, isn't he, I don't, I don't want to say he's just another guy on the roster, but to me, he does not come across like a legit threat to the main event scene. And the only reason why he held the WWE Championship earlier this year was to drop the championship to Randy Orton at WrestleMania. And I know he beat Orton at the Payback Pay Per View in the House of Horrors match, only after interference from Jinder Mahal, though. So I don't know. I'm just not the biggest fan of how they're handling Wyatt right now. But that's kind of in the Story of his career for the past three or four years. Anyway, moving along here, we had Rich Swan against Noam Dar. Sasha Banks getting involved in this mixed tag team feud. So on Sunday, it will be Rich Swan and Sasha Banks taking on Noam Dar and Alicia Fox two on two. Uh, this was a fun little match, a bit better than most cruiserweight matches on Rogers because Sasha Banks was involved and she was uh, obviously kind of keeping the crowd invested here. And for those saying that Sasha Banks is being buried in being involved in this cruiserweight level feud. This stop. She's not being buried. She's being put in this feud to kind of reignite interest in it. If there was any interest to begin with in the feud between Rich Swan and Noam Dar, uh, they're just keeping her busy. It's better than having her just do meaningless fucking matches every single week. It's best to have her do at least this. It makes sense. And if nothing else, it gets the 205 Live guys interacting with other people on the roster. I know, what a concept. But up to this point, over the last eight or nine months or so, uh, the 205 Live guys, the Cruiserweight division has really been on an island of its own, which has its pros and cons. It's not like they're being squashed by fucking Roman Reigns every week, but um, it, it, they don't feel as special. Like, they kind of feel like their own division where, that no one really gives a shit about right now. When you when you interact with the women and the men of the actual roster, I don't know, there's something refreshing about that. So I like that Sasha Banks was getting involved here. She had her own issues with uh, with Alicia Fox, a few they didn't really care too much about anyway, but at least it gives her something to do prior to, you know, obviously turning on Bailey either after Extreme Rules or after the July pay-per-view, what have you. But uh, still, that tag team match should be solid on Sunday. So anyway, Rich Swan picks up the victory. Didn't really mean much the next night when Dar scored the victory back and he got his win back, so 50-50 booking strikes again. After that, we had Kalisto taking on Titus O'Neil, uh, and again, in a match I could not have cared less about. So I guess O'Neil and Cruz, the thing about O'Neil and Cruz, which I've said before, it has potential. I'm not the biggest fan of it, because to me, O'Neil has been here for fucking seven years now, believe it or not. To me, he's damaged goods. He's never going to be a world champion. I don't know why anyone ever thought he'd be anything above like a mid-card guy. Like, I thought the perfect role for him last year was in that feud with Rusev. It wasn't the greatest thing ever. Um, but it gave him something meaningful to do. The matches were decent. People thought he had a chance to dethrone Rusev as United States champion. They were able to showcase, you know, his uh, amazing attributes as a father. So I thought it worked well for him as a heel. 
just I, I I don't see that going too far. But as a manager, it works. As a wrestler, the guy sucks. That was very evident in this match. It was not good at all. For the minute it was given, it was still not quite that good whatsoever. O'Neal scored the victory. I don't know why, but he did. Um, when Cruz failed to beat Kalisto. So I'm not exactly sure what story they're trying to tell here with Kalisto, Cruz, and O'Neal. In the end, it really should be benefiting Cruz. Kalisto should be in the Cruiserweight division. Again, like I said, the Cruiserweight division, to me, is like the kiss of death. But really, could it get much worse for Kalisto? I know he beat Braun Strowman not long ago, but really. Like, the guy is quite good. I know he's a former two-time... Uh, he's a former NXT Tag Team Champion, former two-time United States Champion. But they gave up on this guy a year ago after he lost the U.S. title and he went nowhere. So I think the best thing for him right now is to go be a part of 205 Live, mix it up with Neville, mix it up with all the other guys a part of that division. Because for right now, whatever he's doing with O'Neal and Cruz just is pure filler. No one gives a shit. It belongs on main event on what superstars used to be when it was still around. Um, but O'Neal, as a manager, that works. I think. A lot better than it works than he works as a manager, as, as a wrestler, rather. Uh, I implore you to check out the Fallout video that WWE put up um, on their YouTube channel after Raw on Monday night with him and Cruz doing like a kind of uh, a conference, I guess. It was only really Mike Rome in the audience. They've done this before with O'Neal, like late last year. It didn't go anywhere, the whole Titus brand, whatever. It didn't go anywhere. But now that Cruz is involved, it's kind of bringing out his personality, too. So at least the guy's on TV, which is good, I guess, as opposed to not being on TV when he was on SmackDown and losing. I mean, he just fucking lost to Kalisto, but I don't know. At least it's something. It gives the guy something to do. And the two could have some potential as a pairing, like I said. We'll see where it goes. But if they could air those same videos they've been recording for the Fallout videos for YouTube and shit like that and air that on Raw a lot like they were doing with Brazongo before they brought up the fashion files on SmackDown. It could work to their benefit, so we'll see where they go with it. Uh, and now the infamous segment from Raw, the This Is Your Life segment involving Alexa Bliss and Bailey. Well, really, Bailey was not that involved until the end. Why it took her so long to run out and just end the madness, end the misery, I have no idea. But this was fucking terrible. Uh, the reaction to this was not kind whatsoever on social media following the uh, the segment in the days in, 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 in the past couple of days since it happened. There have been reports that uh, even officials didn't like it and Booker T saying this is hard to watch. I believe he was referring to the part where Tracy and the boyfriend, Bailey's ex-boyfriend apparently, were kissing. That's what he was referring to, not the fact the segment sucked. Maybe he was. I don't know. That's what I interpreted as anyway. But regardless, so this was, you know, the bottom line that this was atrocious. Easily one of, if not the worst segment we've all seen on Raw, probably in 2017, if not in quite some time. Easily the worst thing since the old day shit uh, late last year, which was equally atrocious. And I'm not even sure what this was supposed to accomplish either, because Bailey got her ass kicked again, which is fine. She's an underdog. I didn't really take too much issue with that. It's that she came running down at the wrong time. By the time she came out, people were like, where the fuck were you 10 minutes ago? But by the time Bailey came out, she got her ass kicked by Alexa Bliss. This did not put more heat on Alexa. That's the issue. As great as Alexa is as a talker, just this, this was terrible. She Not even she could salvage this segment. This was doomed to fail from the start. But like I said, it did not put more heat on Alexa Bliss. It put more heat on the fucking company 
for having us, for putting us through this terrible misery, for putting us through this terrible, terrible, terrible segment. So why they even opted to do it in the first place, I have no idea. They pulled the same shit six years ago with Mick Foley and John Cena on Raw, which was also bad, not quite as bad as this. They were, I believe, in Madison Square Garden that night uh, when Mick Foley came back, and the first thing he was involved in was that terrible segment. It's on the network if you want to check it out, YouTube, check it out if you, know, if you want to see what I'm talking about. It was also quite bad, but I believe the intent was for it to be bad. But the problem, I think, again, that was an MSG, and if they didn't do it there, then they probably... I don't remember, so I'm not exactly sure. Maybe the segment wasn't that bad or the crowd wasn't shitting all over it like they were here. But the crowd on this show was booing this. They were chanting, delete, delete, delete. They were chanting, this is boring. Not even, like, at the end, like, halfway through, if that. Like, by the first person, by the fucking fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Flapper, and they were booing this shit, they were rejecting it, by that point, they should have pulled the plug. And said, hey, play the music for Bailey. Let's cut this short. We can kill time with something else later. This is just not working. But no, they let it drag out until the very end when Tracy, Bailey's ex-best friend, and her ex-boyfriend were making out. It was just pure pandemonium, to say the least. This was just beyond bad. And again, like I said, it probably, if anything, not only did it make me more ex- less excited, <clears throat> not only did it change my excitement level, or, excuse me, let me go back here. Not only did it make me not make me more excited for their match on Sunday, it made me less excited for the upcoming encounter between the two. It's all about the fucking kendo stick and this and that. It's like, who cares? Get back to the focus on the championship. They were having a very good feud at the start when Alexa Bliss was bullying Bailey, and I guess this was kind of a, a version of that. But no one cared. If anything, people hated this. And it's not going to put more heat on Bliss. It puts more heat on the creative team and the fact that Raw is just is not a good place right now. I talked all about it on Wednesday's episode of Hashtag AskGSM. I will not rehash my thoughts here. But, again, bottom line, this was just embarrassing. This was an embarrassing time to be a wrestling fan. This was one of those times where if you're watching Raw with your girlfriend or your boyfriend that's not big into wrestling, or... You know, you're watching it at home, and your parents come in, your siblings come in, or you want your friends to give it a shot, and they're watching this garbage, they're gonna, you know, bust your balls forever for being a wrestling fan and having to endure this garbage. That's how terrible this was. Let's move on from there, though. Uh, We had a tag team match pitting Austin Aries and gentleman Jack Gallagher against Neville and TJP. Uh, I thought it was a good match. The crowd didn't care. I mean, the crowd was pretty much killed by this point. By that terrible, terrible segment. But I thought it was good. Uh, They worked over the Aries knee injury. And in the end, Aries forcing Neville to submit to the last chancery, showing that he can indeed indeed force Neville to tap out. And there is a chance he could win the championship on Sunday. I don't think he will. I'll talk about that in my predictions at the end of the show. Uh, I thought this was well done. It should have been a bigger moment. The commentary team team treated it as such. The wrestlers treated it as such. The crowd did not. Um, This did mark the first time that Neville has tapped out since returning to Raw late last year and joining the Cruiserweight division. So it was a pretty big moment, but it fell flat because, like I said, 205 Live in the Cruiserweight division is just the ultimate kiss of death right now, unfortunately. Then we get to the main event. Roman Reigns against Seth Rollins. uh, The reigniting of an awesome feud uh, from many years ago. Even from a year ago, actually. Uh, These guys had an awesome match. Easily the best thing in the entire show. I'm glad they closed out the show with a very, very good wrestling match. Uh, They have awesome chemistry that was on full display here. Really cool spot at one point when Rollins went for the buckle bomb 
and Reigns came out of it with the Superman punch. I know people are criticizing it, saying, oh, he didn't sell it. Roman Reigns fell down immediately after he took the buckle bomb, after he hit the Superman punch, so it's not that big of a deal. But I thought it was cool. I thought it was well done. It got people invested in the action. And again, they had the tough task of getting the crowd back into the show, albeit it was the main event, but they had the tough task of kind of getting the crowd invested after that terrible segment killed the crowd off early on in the evening with the this is your life bullshit. Um, but they did so successfully. I thought they had a very, very, very good match, especially in the main event of an episode of Monday Night Raw. I didn't have a big problem with them giving this away on Raw and not like, oh man, it's a big money match. We've seen it a million times. We saw it at Money in the Bank last year. We've seen it on Raw before. I'm sure they'll have, they'll have more matches down the road. You know, it's two baby faces against each other. I'm, I'm sure we're not going to get Roman and Rollins um, against each other anytime soon on an upcoming pay-per-view. Some this was, I mean, one-on-one anyway, with the exception of Sunday. So I was fine with that for the Memorial Day edition of Raw. Just a great match. And again, above all else, not only was the match really, really good, we got a clean finish. Roman won with his, with his finish clean. He hit the spear and got the clean victory. I for sure thought they would have Joe run down or Wyatt appear out of nowhere or even Balor show up and knock both guys out, but they didn't. They had Roman win, and that was it. They went off the air, and I really thoroughly appreciated that. For a, for a nice change of pace, we didn't get the obligatory five-man brawl to close out the show. We know the match is a fucking five-way on Sunday. We got Balor, Wyatt, and Joe doing their thing early on in the show. Now it's time to showcase Rollins and Reigns. And they did that, and I give them props for that. But overall, again, I thought it was an okay show. With the ex- and I can't even accept the, I can't even exclude the, this is your life bullshit. It was that bad that this show, regardless of the awesome mean event, the very good triple threat, and the very fun opening six-man tag team match, this show will forever be remembered as the night we had This Is Your Life be brought back. And I it, it worked 20 years ago with the Rock and Foley. It was so over the top, but it worked because you had the right players, you had great actors, you could get away with a lot more back then, back in the Attitude Era. You can't right now, obviously, which is fine. It doesn't hinder the quality of the show, but it just doesn't work. So why they thought it would work, I'm not sure. But anyway, overall, with the the, the bad really takes over, and I'm hesitant to call this a bad show because we had two really, really good matches. But I think, again, the, the bottom line here is that it did not get me any more excited for Extreme Rules than it was going in. I don't care what you say about the show itself, whether it was bad, it was good. The real focus of this show, as with any go-home show, should be to get people invested in the crowd and and rather in the show coming up on Sunday. It didn't do that for me, and it's a shame because the show looks good on paper. There's a lot of silly stipulations, uh, but the show could be quite good. I thought Payback was easily the best Raw exclusive event they've had since the return of the brand split a year ago. Um, I don't know if Extreme Rules will be as good, because on that night, I think they had two title changes, maybe one. I know the women's title changed hands, and the U.S. title changed hands, too. Yes, yeah, so they had two title changes. Uh, I don't know if Sunday's going to be as good, but we'll see, and I'll get to that at, after the end of the uh, SmackDown review momentarily. Speaking of SmackDown from Tuesday night, SmackDown Live review coming your way from May 30th, 2017. We open the night with the highlight reel being hosted by none other than, not Chris Jericho, but Kevin Owens, the United States champion. He's interrupted by Shinsuke Nakamura, then Baron Corbin, and then Sami Zayn. They all go at it talking about why they should win the briefcase and Money in the Bank coming up in a couple of weeks. 
Uh, they break out into a brawl. Sami Zayn says they have a tag team match coming up after the commercial break. I don't know when he got the power to book matches, but apparently he does. And that was the opening segment. So before I get into the tag team match, I do want to mention this. The fact that Owens brought back the highlight reel yet again was interesting. Um, and it was also interesting that they have yet to take Jericho out of the open for the show, for SmackDown. And usually when he's written out of the, like, the storylines and shit, I mean, usually he's like fired or something, but in this case, usually he's written out almost immediately to kind of tell people, okay, he's not on the roster anymore. Like he still, he still appears on the roster in the WWE.com website. So that tells me that it's either one of two things. One, that WWE thinks he'll be back sooner than expected, sooner rather than later in the next couple of months, or two, that he will be back in the next few months. So either way, it's a good sign, because Jericho was obviously in the midst of his best run in many, many years uh, prior to leaving for Fozzie, and uh, it kind of rejuvenates his character when he comes back, whenever that might be. I know he is wrestling the tour of Japan a month from now, uh, in early July, which he always has. I think two weeks or two years ago, I think he worked Finn Balor on an untelevised event, but he also worked uh, Neville on that Beast in the East special, which was great. Then the next year, he worked Shinsuke Nakamura in Japan. This year, he's working Hideo Itami. So he's always working the Japanese talent, which is funny. Or a talent that emanates or, or got a name, you know, uh, became big over in Japan, which was pretty funny. But So I look forward to that. I, I We're not going to see it, obviously, but um, Jericho could be back as soon as that. In terms of uh, being on TV. He has worked those shows before. Like a year ago. Or no, he was around a year ago when he worked those shows. Um, When was it? Like the time when he worked the Beast in the East special. He came back for that one televised. Or like the network special. The one-off special. But then he wasn't seen again until like Night of Champions. Three months later. Two or three months later. So it might be a while before Jericho's back. But for some reason after seeing Owens host a highlight reel again. After he did so like two or three weeks ago on SmackDown. That, to me, is like an indication that Jericho might be back in the near future. And I hope he is. Again, I think, not that SmackDown needs him right now. Like, oh my god, SmackDown won't be good until Jericho's back. But he'd be a nice addition to the SmackDown roster. I know him and Owens obviously have their history. But you have Jericho Styles, Jericho Nakamura, Jericho Mahal, for whatever that's worth. But uh, Jericho and Corbin could be good. So they got a couple good feuds in the SmackDown side. Jericho Rusev. They got a couple good feuds on the SmackDown side if they want to go that route uh, when Jericho eventually gets back. Inevitably. I know he said, oh, you know, I might, I'll, I'd be content if I never came back. That's obviously Jericho being Jericho. He will be back. It's more a matter of when than if at this point. Anyway, the tag team match, Sami Zayn and Shinsuke Nakamura taking on Kevin Owens and Baron Corbin. Very good match. Solid wrestling in the end. Tension teased between, not even teased, they just imploded. Uh, similar to the uh, implosion between... Who was it? Between, oh, Bray Wyatt and Samoa Joe on Monday's Raw that I mentioned earlier. Uh, but yeah, Owens and Corbin going at it. Uh, Owens kind of like gets in the face of Baron Corbin. Uh, Corbin, he gets shoved by Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin just knocks him on his fucking ass. And that leaves Nakamura to pick up the scraps and pin the United States champion for the second straight week. And the next week, it's going to be Kevin Owens versus Shinsuke Nakamura one-on-one. Non-title though. Nakamura has now beaten Owens twice. He pinned him in last week's tag team main event. And now this week, uh, that should in theory lead to a title shot, but I don't think they want to take the title off of Owens right now, and they don't want Nakamura to lose. So that's probably why they're going to do it. I mean, he might beat Owens again next week, and he probably will, but it just further devalues the United States Championship. I really wouldn't. I really wish they wouldn't do that. I know they have to keep Nakamura looking strong, 
but I wish they would have done... But then again, Corbin should not take another loss either, so I'm not sure what else they could have done here except for like a fucking DQ or something. But it was a good match, though, I will say that. After that, we had the Usos come out, the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, say, saying they have beaten American Alpha. They have beaten Brazongo. There is nothing left for the Usos. Cue the New Day. To a big pop, they're back for the first time since right after WrestleMania. The New Day claim they are the new number one contenders to the SmackDown Tag Team titles at Money in the Bank after talking to Shane McMahon. The match is set in stone for the show. I enjoyed this. I thought the verbal exchange was very entertaining. Uh, the Usos as, heel, as heels, as I've talked about before, have been fucking killing it. So, And then the New Day feel fresher now than they have in quite some time because they've been gone for a month and a half. They're on SmackDown now. Uh, they can help really breathe new life into the SmackDown Tag Team division. So I thought this was good. Hopefully they don't give the belts to the New Day right off the bat and they kind of hold off for at least another month or two. Um, but still, this was good. I look forward to the feud. And a lot better than their feud from like two or three years ago when people were already cheering New Day at like the beginning of 2016. So I feel like these roles are a lot better with New Day as baby faces and Usos as the heels. Uh, after that, we had a what was supposed to be a fatal five-way match, elimination style, to determine a new number one contender to the SmackDown Women's Championship between Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, Tamina, Natalia, and Carmella. But instead, before the bell could even ring, uh, all five women just went at it, started brawling all around ringside. And it was a pretty good brawl, too. It went on for quite some time, at least five minutes or so. There was an awesome table spot where Charlotte put Natalia through the table at ringside. Carmella diving off the barricade. Everyone hitting their finishers. I thought it was awesome. All five women work really well together for whatever reason. The six women tag team match of Backlash bored me to fucking tears. The feud has done nothing for me. The whole three-on-three tag team feud. But I thought this was good. I thought all women here played their roles quite well. And then before the match could even happen, Shane McMahon comes out and says, we're not going to have the match tonight. We're going to have it at Money in the Bank. But instead, it'll be the first ever SmackDown's women's Money in the Bank ladder match. So I talked about it last week in the random video block for YouTube. I talked about it right here on the show in regards to whether it's a good or bad or a good or bad idea. It is a good idea. I mean, I'm very happy for the women to get the opportunity. The only con to me is that putting women like Carmella in there and Tamina, it seems like it would be a train wreck. So I hope with women like Charlotte and Becky and Natalia, it's a good match. And they have five women in there and not fucking like seven. So that works out well, I think. It gives us one less match at Money in the Bank. I thought we would get, like, someone win the five-way, and then the remaining four women get the Money in the Bank ladder match. But instead, we're getting all five women in the ladder match, and then Naomi just doesn't defend again for the second straight pay-per-view. So, take that for what it's worth. Uh, But I look forward to it. I think the women will make the most out of the opportunity. As long as they don't go all out and try to fucking kill themselves, I think it could be, like a la Hell in the Cell between Sasha Banks and Charlotte. Like, there were a lot of spots in that match. It was a it was a good match, but they did not need to go all out the way they did to make it seem, like, historic or, like, we can hang with the men. You don't need to prove anything to anyone. Like, we know that you guys can hang with the men. We understand that. Just go out there and have a good match. Don't try too hard and try to have an amazing match by killing yourselves with spots that just aren't just just ideal. That are just reckless. So hopefully they don't go all out in that respect. But I do look forward to it though. Um, I think these guys, rather women, could go in there and have just a very, very good ladder match. The first ever, just ladder match period. Not even Money in the Bank ladder match. But the first ever ladder match for the women, period, in WWE. I know there was one women's ladder match in like OVW between Beth Phoenix and Katie Lee Burchill of all people many, many years ago. But beyond that, we've never had a ladder women's match 
on the main roster. So that should be good. And they did say on Talking Smack after the show that it will carry. Not only is it a number one contenders match, but it is indeed a Money in the Bank match where we're the winner, we'll earn the briefcase, earn the contract, and we'll be able to cash it in any time of their choosing. So maybe they crown a new number one contender for Naomi in the meantime after the Money in the Bank winner gets the briefcase. I'm not really sure, but they can cash it in as far as what Sheen and Renee said, according to them on Talking Smack. It is an actual Money in the Bank ladder match. It's not just a ladder match to determine the new number one contender to the title. It's determining a future contender to the championship at any place in any time of their choosing. So I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. Um, after that, we had Brazongo and the Colognes. Just standard two-on-two tag team match. Brazongo wins. The whole like new alter ego grandma janitor thing with Tyler Breeze. As like dumb as it sounds on paper, it's working. Like crowds like it and they're getting over. So if it's working, then I have no issue with it. I thought the vignette they held earlier was pretty funny. Uh the the, the film noir thing where like they were doing the old school, old fashioned like detective work, and then Tyler Breeze was dressing up like a woman again, but Again, for as weird as it was, I enjoyed it. These guys, are they're getting over, and that's all that matters as a babyface tag team. So, again, two thumbs up to Brazongo. Match was meaningless, um, but I'm glad Brazongo is getting over. I'm sure we'll, we'll see a rematch of Money in the Bank along with maybe Luke Harper and Aiden English. They set that up after the show, like some really weird but interesting SmackDown Fallout video on YouTube. So maybe we see Harper and English at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. I'm not sure. They're going to probably need more matches. I mean, they do have the WWE Championship match, the two ladder matches, and then the tag title match, but that's not enough. I mean, I, they can give the ladder matches a half an hour each, and they're still short, like, an hour and a half of program. At least an hour, but at most, like, an hour and a half of uh, of TV time. So hopefully they, they add another match. It could be Brazongo and the Clones again. Not that I really care too much, but we'll probably see a rematch of the pay-per-view or Brazongo and fucking, like, Ascension or something. We've, which we've also which we've also already seen by this point, but whatever. Uh, Randy Orton returned to talk about his father, himself, and his grandfather, to talk about how his grandfather was from the silent era, where they didn't talk about what they were gonna do; they just did it, and that's what he's gonna do when he beats back or beats Shinder Mahal to win back the WWE Championship at Money in the Bank. Mahal interrupted him, talked about the American style, blah 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 blah, same shit as usual. The feud's not doing anything for me. Orton as a mic worker, as a talker, has never been great. Uh, this seems like just cookie-cutter, cookie generic bullshit to me. Uh, and then Mahal is just not really killing it on the mic as he probably should be, considering he's the WWE champion. But uh, I don't know. This wasn't a bad segment. It was just kind of there. It was just kind of generic to me. I'm, I wasn't really looking forward to the first match, but now that the shock factor is wore off with Mahal's WWE champion... I don't really care too much to see uh, Orton and Mahal again at Money in the Bank. So, again, whatever, but uh, this was whatever. But the main event, though, is quite good. Uh, Dolph Ziggler taking on AJ Styles in, in Styles' hometown of, uh, not hometown, it was in Atlanta, Georgia. He's from Gainesville, but his home state, the crowd is red hot for him. But in typical WWE fashion, with uh, Styles wrestling in his hometown, he lost clean to Dolph Ziggler. And for a second, I thought. Wait, 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 that can't be true. Styles' foot was on the rope. No way that actually happened. But then I thought, oh, wait, they're in his hometown. That means he must lose. So <laughs> that's WWE's old um, adage for whatever reason. I'm not exactly sure why. 
in their mind, maybe they think that Ziggler was going to get heat out of it. I mean, I'm, I'm glad Ziggler picked up the win to an extent. They should not be beating Styles like a drum, but to an extent, I mean, on the bright side, Ziggler finally scored a meaningful victory. That doesn't mean he's winning the Brave case, and I think he's probably the least likely out of everyone in the match to win the Brave case. Um, but at any rate, though, with Ziggler and Styles, Ziggler, or rather, Styles probably should have won. Ziggler winning is not the worst thing, but that doesn't mean that Ziggler is winning the briefcase, so don't even entertain that idea because it's not happening. The match, though, was quite good. Again, I don't know why they thought that Ziggler beating Styles would help garner him heat. The crowd just kind of sat in disbelief thinking, wow, fuck, Ziggler actually won a match for once. Whatever. They really wanted to see AJ win. In their mind, they think that the hometown hero losing... I mean, in some cases, this is true, but more often than not, it's not. Um, they thought the hometown hero losing would lead to big heat for Ziggler, but really it didn't. After Ziggler won, the crowd was like, okay, why did you do that? And the, and the show ended. But again, though, in all seriousness, um, Ziggler probably needed to win more than AJ. Not that he's going to win the briefcase, but he needed to look more like a threat. Than, I mean, AJ's fucking AJ Styles. He'll be fine. He shouldn't be losing every week. Far from it, but you'll, he won't be hurt by this loss. So, uh, anyway, good match, though, between the two. I thought it was a very good main event, closing out a pretty good episode of SmackDown Live. Way better than Raw. I mean, granted, it wasn't a go-home show, but uh, very good opening and closing matches. I thought the Brazongo vignette was funny. The Mahal-Orton thing did nothing for me, but that furthered the feud, so it, it served its purpose, I guess. Uh, the women's brawl and the subsequent announcement were really well done. And the New Day's back, too. So, overall, I give the show two thumbs up. I enjoyed SmackDown on Tuesday. And I won't talk about NXT from last night or 205 Live. We'll just get right into my Extreme Rules predictions for this Sunday night emanating from Baltimore, Maryland on June 4th, 2017. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the show. Again, as I said earlier, Raw is kind of in a weird spot right now. It's not the hottest show. There's really not too much going on. But the pay-per-views can be good. I mean, I enjoyed, obviously, thoroughly enjoyed WrestleMania and being there. I thought Payback was very good. I thought it was a great show. Uh, Backlash was pretty good, so they really have not had a bad show since Fastlane, so I'm hoping they can keep that strong streak going going into the summer with Extreme Rules on Sunday. So let's get right into it. Extreme Rules predictions for Sunday night, uh, opening with the mixed tag team rat match, Rich Swan and Sasha Banks taking on Noam Dar and Alicia Fox. Uh, again, like I said earlier, integrating Sasha Banks into the feud has been a breath of fresh air for the feud, for the Cruiserweight guys. Swan and Dar should have ended fucking two months ago. It's been literally, practically four months since the feud started, but they're still doing it for whatever reason. Uh, but Sasha Banks being involved is not a burial of Banks, not a burial of the boss, so don't think it is. It just merely gives her something to do before she turns on Bailey inevitably, uh, after Payback or after Extreme Rolls or Great Balls of Fire or whatever. That's going to happen. It's really more a matter of when than if, but uh, I'm fine with the match happening at the pay-per-view. Swan and Banks, I got them going over. Darn Fox, just do nothing for me. Sasha Banks should not lose. I mean, like I said, her being involved in the program is not a burial, but her losing here would be a pretty much a fucking burial. I know it would, like, further the heel turn, but they did that when Fox beat her clean on Raw a few weeks ago for whatever reason. I know she could have beaten her without beating her clean. That was the real, like, question mark as to why she lost clean. But, um... Anyway, so I got Swan and Banks going over here. After that, for the WWE Cruiserweight Championship, Neville and Austin Aries. I'm looking forward to the match and a submission match. Uh, they've really, really hammered home the submission aspect of it 
with Neville. He was going to tap out at WrestleMania before he raked the eyes of Austin Aries. He was going to tap out at Payback before he grabbed the referee and got himself disqualified. So they've been building this. I give creative credit for really building up this feud and focusing on that aspect of the feud with Neville tapping out. He finally tapped out on Monday night, which to me meant that Neville's retaining, which I guess is not a bad thing. So here's the thing. As I've heard people say, if Arias loses here, he's not like destined for failure in WWE. But I'm really hoping if he does lose... Like, I'd be very happy if he won. Um, but if he loses, I hope it leads to him leaving the division. Uh, he he deserves a lot better than this. I know the Solomon Monster just talked about it on his own podcast a day or two ago. Uh, but I couldn't agree more. I don't want to rip off anyone's ideas, but I could not agree more that Aries does deserve better than this. I did say a few months ago that he was a perfect fit for the Cruiserweight division, and I still stand by that. But just because it's a good introduction for him to the main roster after doing commentary, now wrestling Neville. But now that people are accustomed to Austin Aries being on Raw, hopefully after this feud, if he doesn't win, and I don't think he will, he can be transitioned into the heavyweight division, uh, or like the uh, the more important people, as Solomonster said on Tuesday, which I got a good chuckle out of, uh, going forward, which, again, that's where Aries belongs, honestly. As does Neville, but Neville's been doing a great, go- a great job as champion. So to cut that short... It's not really cutting a short. He's been champion for like four or five months at this point. So having him lose here is not the worst thing. But Aries winning would be cool. But I think Neville's retain. I think Neville retains here. And I mean, anyway, with Neville retaining, you have more challengers for him anyway. With Aries, if Aries wins, you're probably going to get a Neville Aries rematch, which the feud should probably be over by this point. So I would not be too enthralled by that idea, unless it's like a ladder match or something. But that's not happening. We've had a million fucking ladder matches this year. We don't need to see another one anytime soon. But um, if Aries won, who was there really to defend against? Noam Dar? Like, who fucking cares? Like, Tony Nese? Really? Like, Kendrick? Like, maybe? But the guy just lost in street fight. So, that being said, that street fight was won by Akira Tozawa. I assume he's being primed for a future program with, um, with Neville. Neville and Tozawa could be quite good. If not, Neville and Aleister Black, which I talked about here on the show about a month ago, three weeks ago maybe, about Aleister Black being fast-tracked for the main roster, which is maybe why he hasn't been put in a real program yet in NXT. It might be because he's just killing time before being brought up. I mean, again, him and 205 Live might not be the best idea because 205 Live is fucking the kiss of death right now, like I said earlier. But uh, him beating Neville for the title would not be the worst thing because at least Black... He's been very much over in NXT. I don't know if that's going to translate to the main roster, but he did have a tryout in main event a couple of weeks ago, and he thrived. The crowd loved him. And again, that was in the UK. That's a different story. Bottom line here, Neville retains, beats Austin Aries on Sunday by forcing him to tap out to the rings of Saturn, probably with help from TJP. After that, we have a steel cage match for the Raw Tag Team Championships. The Hardy Boys defending against Cesaro and Sheamus. I got to give him props. I got to give the company props for really protecting the Hardy Boys uh, since they've been back. They have really done a great job of positioning them as a dominant force in the tag team division. And first of all, shout out to Matt Hardy uh, for liking their article I wrote about them for Bleacher Report over the weekend. Uh, replied back to my tweet saying, superb article. Thanks for writing it. So I appreciate Matt for getting back to me. Excuse me. But uh, yeah, no, I got to commend WWE for uh, really protecting the Hardy Boys, not having them go 50-50 with fucking Cesaro and Sheamus, which would have been 
abysmal. I mean, they, they deserve a lot better than that, so I'm glad they're being protected by and large. That's great. But they should win here. I was thinking that maybe Sheamus and Cesaro win, uh, considering how much they've lost recently. But they have literally, other than the, the tag team turmoil match, have not won a single match against the Hardy Boys. So, And even the Hardy Boys were not involved in tag team turmoil. So, again, the Hardy Boys, they, they, they should win here. I don't know when they're going to become broken. Uh, the whole thing right now is that there's no timetable on when it's going to happen. There's still a big fucking mess between Anthem and the Hardys, and specifically Matt and Rebby. It's just a giant mess right now, so hopefully it gets resolved at some point. WWE could win the rights tomorrow. They could just pay TNA the, the, the money they want for the gimmick, but they don't want to set a precedent, uh, apparently, according to Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Uh, regardless, I think Hardy Boys retain here. They go on to face the Revival going into the summer season, and I think it might be the Revival who ultimately takes the tag team titles off of the Hardy Boys. After that, we have Alexa Bliss versus Bayley in a kendo stick on a pole match for the Raw Women's Championship. A dumb stipulation. I mean, the kendo stick is cool. Bayley has sold the kendo stick shots well, and even Mickey James a week ago on Raw. The pole stipulation is what I think is dumb. I'm not a big fan of that just because I'm not really sure why they would... Just It just seems stupid to me um, as to why they would put the kendo stick in a pole. Why not just have a Singapore cane match? Why not just do that? Wouldn't that make more sense? I mean, I just think it's really stupid to be putting these women in, in, a, in a pole match in 2017. Like, that should have been over with many years ago. But, like my girlfriend Haley said, at least it's not a bras and panties match. So there is, um, you know, there is a bright side every story, I guess. But regardless, I mean, I think it's going to be a good match if they can make the most of it. Um, the fir- I think it's the first ever women's kendo stick match of any kind, I assume. Um, I guess we'll see. I guess they'll probably mention it on Sunday. But I think Bliss wins here. I think Bailey winning the belt back is the end game. But it's still, I don't know if it's, yeah, it's still too soon. Bliss just won the championship at Payback a month ago five weeks ago or so, or go or whatever, and then, um, I think Bailey wins it back in July, setting up Bailey and, um, Sasha Banks for the SummerSlam pay-per-view, Bailey will win it back eventually, it's more a matter of when than if, um, but I do think it happens at the July pay-per-view, and not on Sunday, so, Alexa Bliss retains the championship here, after that, for the Intercontinental Championship, Dean Ambrose defends against The Miz, with the stipulation being, how extreme, but the stipulation is, if Ambrose gets DQ'd, he loses the championship. Ooh. Like, they've been doing a good job with the feud. Ambrose and Miz work well against each other. I'm sure the match is going to be great. But the fact that this is considered an extreme stipulation... I mean, look at the fucking stipulations on the show. Fatal 5-Way is not extreme at all. The The DQ stipulation is just dumb. I get what they're going for, but it's not extreme. Steel Cage, I'll give it to him. That's extreme. Kendo stick is extreme. The pole thing is just dumb. Submission match, extreme. Then the mixed tag team match is no stipulation. So we've seen the same thing from WWE for years now. There, there was a time, believe it or not, where every match in the card was had a hardcore stipulation of some sort. But just in recent years, they've really kind of been lazy and not been doing that. But regardless, um, I think Miz wins the belt back. I think Miz should win the championship just because he's a far better fit for that title than Ambrose is. I like Ambrose, but he has done nothing of note with that championship whatsoever. I think the belt is just in way better hands with Miz than Ambrose, and Ambrose can go on to do his thing with Rollins and Reigns if they want to, reform the Shield, or they could do Miz, Ambrose, and Samson, like I said earlier. 
Either way, um, I think this should be the night where Miz wins back the Intercontinental Championship by Ambrose getting DQ'd. And then Miz uh, wins the championship. I mean, he's going to win the championship eventually anyway. He might as well do it here. He should have won it on Raw a few weeks ago. He did not. Um, I do think he wins the belt back here, though. And then the main event, a fatal five-way match to determine the number one contender to Brock Lesnar's Universal Championship, which, yes, still exists. Uh, But the main event will be Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor versus Samoa Joe versus Bray Wyatt. Uh, Case by case here, Roman Reigns is the endgame. I mean, you could always do Reigns and Lesnar in the meantime. That would be just fucking stupid before they do it again at WrestleMania. That would just be dumb. I really hope they don't do that. With, like, Strowman coming back and costing Reigns the match. That would just be dumb. They did the same exact fucking finish at Royal Rumble with Kevin Owens in place of Brock Lesnar. So I hope they don't do it. And I don't think he will. I don't think they will because Roman won on Monday, so which means he's probably not winning on Sunday. Seth Rollins would be good. Um, Now would be the time to do it, I guess. He still does have that feud with Joe. The thing with Balor and Wyatt, it's a feud we will see at some point, but they haven't really, like, officially kicked it off. They have been involved with each other for a couple of weeks before the number one contenders match was announced. But that being said, it wasn't like a full-fledged feud that Joe and Rollins was. So I hope Joe and Rollins finish up their feud at the July pay-per-view before we get Rollins and, um, and, and Rollins and Lesnar at some point later on in the year. Finn Balor's my pick. I think Balor makes the most sense. He's the most intriguing pick, honestly. If only because of the size difference. For people saying, oh, it's not realistic. Well, you know what? Fucking Punk and Lesnar in a real-life fight is not realistic either. But those two went out there and had a great match at SummerSlam 2013. So, I think Balor's the best pick. I know they teased the whole thing with Paul Heyman a week ago. Heyman did not resurface this week, as they thought he might. So that, to me, means that Balor's winning, and I hope he does win. Like I said earlier, Samoa Joe Lesnar, I'm looking forward to the most out of any of the people in this match, eventually facing Brock. Um, it's that I just don't think now is the right time. I think you can save that for later on down the road at the onset of 2017, or 18, rather, for the Royal Rumble. I guess you could do it at Survivor Series, but to me, Survivor Series has not meant anything in many years, so I would do a Wyatt match there before I would do Joe and Lesnar. Like, Wyatt Lesnar before I do Joe and Lesnar at that pay-per-view. But hopefully they do save Samoa Joe and Lesnar for later on down the road, but not here. I wouldn't be upset if Joe won here, but I just don't think it's happening. And then Bray Wyatt and Lesnar. And also Joe for Lesnar, too. They should give it enough time to be built up. Not just give it away on, like, a one show and then just be done with it. That should be built up over the course of, like, a month or two. Anyway, uh, Wyatt and Lesnar. I honestly, I just have no desire. Like, Wyatt, just to me... I don't know if he's damaged goods necessarily, like Dolph Ziggler is, um, and other people like Jack Swagger was before he got hurt, before he left the company a couple months ago. But Bray Wyatt, it's just that I can never buy into him as a legitimate threat to the main event scene, whether it be a world championship, which I know he won a couple of months ago, but it was, as I said earlier, merely to set up Orton winning the championship at fucking WrestleMania. So that was kind of the the, the sole reason as to why he was champion for, for a month and a half. For as long as he was earlier this year. Uh, Wyatt Lesnar is really nothing more than a house show match. I was disappointed we didn't get it at the Roadblock special. Not Roadblock, end of the line, but Roadblock, the December or the March 2016 special on the network. Just because that would have been the perfect place to do it. Uh, I, it, it just, to me, it's not a SummerSlam, Great Balls, not even like a pay-per-view caliber match. It might have been a few years ago, but... 
the guy has just been a fucking loser. Like, I just don't care at this point. So, I don't know. I'm just not a fan of them doing Wyatt Lesnar. I don't think they will. Um, but I, if he wins here, I'd be honestly disappointed. And I know it's a fresh match, but you know Wyatt will be just beat the fuck out of just the shit will be kicked out of him by Brock Lesnar for five minutes before he loses. Five minutes at the most. At most. It would be a two-minute main event. I'd much rather see Finn Balor, really anyone else in this match win before Bray Wyatt, but I don't think he's winning anyway. I think it's going to be Finn Balor securing his shot against Brock Lesnar at the Great Balls of Fire pay-per-view for the Universal Championship. And that does it, guys, my predictions for the Extreme Rules pay-per-view this upcoming Sunday on the WWE Network emanating from Baltimore, Maryland. Like I said, I think it's going to be a good show. I'm looking forward to the show on Sunday. It's got potential. Raw has not exactly been must-see recently, but like I said, Payback was a great show, and I'm hoping Extreme Rules can be equally enjoyable on Sunday. Uh, beyond that, that's about it. There's really not many more news items to discuss. If there's anything escaping my mind, I apologize, and I'm not discussing, but I'm pretty sure that does it for today's episode of WrestleRant Radio. We'll cut it short by uh, we'll cut it short by a couple of minutes here. Uh, but before we go off the air, be sure to find me on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant. Follow me there. I'll probably be live tweeting for the pay per view on Sunday. Uh, find me on Facebook, like the page at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews and YouTube as well. Find me on YouTube, subscribe to the channel at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews for daily content. Subscribe now. And of course, check back every single Thursday right here on next for all new episodes of wrestle rant radio. Now that the summer season is practically underway with today being, uh, June 1st, we might just get more guests on the show going forward, so we'll see. We've had a lot of great guests this year so far already in 2017, so we'll see who we can get on the show going forward as the summer season quickly approaches and it gets underway. Like I said, June 1st, tomorrow's my birthday. I uh, appreciate all the birthday wishes in advance and uh, Extreme Rules on Sunday, so now is a great time to be a wrestling fan. Whether you enjoyed Raw on Monday or not, which has been quite polarizing since Monday night, uh, SmackDown's been doing quite good. NXT's always enjoyable. I might do a SmackDown or rather NXT review next week. We'll see. 205 Live is 205 Live, but uh, Lucha Underground is also back. We're in the t-shirt right now. Uh, check out the return of Lucha Underground from last night. I, well, I'm not, I didn't have time to talk about it here today, um, but maybe I'll give my thoughts on the show next week in the return of the second half of Season 3. And again, guys, check out all the other content right here on NextAirWrestling.net for all new reviews every Monday, Tuesday, and pretty much every day of the week of Raw, SmackDown, Impact Wrestling, Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground, NXT, and everything else in between. Appreciate your support of the show, of the site, of me. Again, thank you for the birthday wishes. I thoroughly appreciate it. Have an awesome rest of your week. Enjoy Extreme Rules on Sunday. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Do a self-care, do a self-care.